This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Make me laugh. Make me laugh already. Here we go. Hi, I'm Jan Brereton and welcome to this episode of Everybody is a Poem. It's the podcast exploring all of life's ups and downs, the successes and failures and everything in between. I'll read a poem to my guest and well, really, it'll start from there. They're unfiltered conversations. So, yes, ma, there will be (laughs) swearing. Uh, Before I get on with the chat, don't forget you can support me further by subscribing to Headstuff Plus, where you'll get exclusive access to Behind the Lines. It's a bonus episode uh, where I share all the secrets, the people, the places and all the things that have inspired the poems in my little yellow book called What Day Is It? Who Gives a Fuck? So you can go to headstuffpodcast.com forward slash register to find out more. My guest today is Jen Hogan. I'm so excited to have her here because you were first on my list. (laughs) When this whole uh, thing started, you were just a woman that I really, really wanted to have on. You're an author. You're a journalist. You're a regular on our TV screens and radio. You're a mom of seven. Mm -hmm. You're ahead of sense. That's what I say. (laughs) That's very kind of you. Yeah, you say it like it is. And I am always so grateful to see you contributing in like our newspapers or on TV or on radio because I just love how frank and honest you are. Um, I think it was the, um, was it the Today Show with Maura and Dahi one day? I might have been just kind of mindlessly going about my business and I heard just this voice of sense on, I was like, who's this one? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm so thrilled to have you here. And oh, thanks so much for I'll coming on. I'll pass that bribe under the table now, Jan. Thanks. <laughs> no bribe. <laughs> No bribe required, honestly. I have, I'm just going to, you're a prolific tweeter and I'm not on Twitter because I'm absolutely fucking terrified of it. Um, oh, you're missing out. It's a bit of crack, actually. Oh, it is. is. It? I mean, look, it's, it can be a cesspit at times. It can be an absolute cesspit and they can come out of every corner after you over the tiniest little thing. But at the same time, it can be a great crack. Even even just kind of observing some of the stuff that goes on on Twitter. Yeah. It is kind of funny um, sometimes. But it is a bit of crack, actually. I do, and I always say I have to be on it for work because yeah. you kind of feel you have to justify it, especially when, especially at home and the kids are giving out stinks that you're on the phone again. But no, there, it's, it's, Re- it's really helpful for work, absolutely, and it's essential. I'm on it for work, but it is a bit of crack. It's is it's it? not something to be feared quite as much as people think it is. You just have to use the block button with, with you know, uh, what's it? Want and abandon? No, what's the the phrase now that's escaping me at the moment? Just block everyone. Just that's block being everyone. Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I follow you on Instagram, and I love all your um. Well, I love all your banter and all of your posts. 
Um, but particularly the ones that I enjoy, and I said this to you last night, was I love the ones that you post up. It's usually in the days in the run up to one of your um, one of your kids' mm-hmm. birthdays. And I love how it's like you kind of set the scene. And I just think sometimes as well as moms, you kind of... You, you, you're inclined to forget those mm. 24 hours or those 48 hours or whatever. Um, so it's always quite nice to kind of bring it back to, OK, well, you know what you did, like what you achieved, yeah. you know what I mean? To actually labour this child into the world. I love them. I love them. little. Posts. I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget no. those days. They were they were so amazing and I don't want to forget. Them. And they were terrifying as well. I mean, childbirth was way worse than I ever thought it would be. I mean, I, I don't you know, these people that tell you, oh, it's been like a bad period pain. And it was like that. Yeah. And I went into my first labour thinking something was wrong because it was nothing like a bad period pain at all it bloody hurt and but but the the lead up to it and the excitement I mean mother bursting into tears when she realized I was in labor kind of giving me the heads up hang on a second this is not going to be any crack at all Um, and the whole I suppose the whole enormity that rush that high I don't want to forget it because they were the greatest moments and the most terrifying moments of my life at the same time. So I, I make that conscious effort of literally, I relive it every birthday. I relive what I was doing so many years ago. And it's slightly complicated because my eldest and my sixth child were born on the same day, 12 years apart. Wow. So I have to try and remember. He arrived three weeks early. If you knew him, you know that's very much in keeping <laughs> with his personality. But I made this, I, I don't want to forget it and I want to remember it. So I, I literally keep going throughout the day. I mean, the husband thinks I'm mad. Well, do you remember this time 21 years ago? Do you remember yeah. this time nine years ago? And I was doing this and I was doing that and I called you this. And, <laughs> and there was the whole recollection. Yeah. And the amazing part of my daughter having a name that she wasn't supposed to have because he got such a shock at childbirth. He goes, you can call her. Whatever she princess like. power, whatever you want. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just squeeze that out of you. And the differences, I suppose, even in terms of acknowledging those differences, because I had I think I've had every type of birth I've had, you know, my drug, my birth with drugs, my birth without drugs, my drug free birth. That was not by choice. That was how it went. And I was very traumatized by that. Um, elective C-sections, emergency C-sections. And you feel different after different births. You know, you have a different yeah. reaction to it. And we, I think as women, we're always told just be glad that you have this beautiful, healthy baby and you are eternally grateful to have this beautiful, healthy baby. But childbirth itself is such a huge, it's such a huge event in your life and it's exhilarating and terrifying and traumatic and rewarding and everything all at the same time. And I don't want to forget, I don't want to forget how I felt because there were such unique moments each time around. I mean, when Chloe was born, my eldest, it was huge. It was just your first child being born is such a huge thing. And it changed me, I think, of it changes all of us, I suppose, when we become mothers forever that first time. Mm-hmm. And when my second child was born, his, I would always say, was the most traumatic birth. But I, I think in mad things like I come from a house of all girls and I never found out what I was having. And now you'll know I have one girl and six boys. So I have lots of boys, but he was the first boy Um. And there was this novelty that came in to the fact that I had a son, never cared whether I was having girls or was, I've never found out. I've always just, you know, been felt how lucky am I to be having another child. But I remember that being surprised, thinking I wouldn't feel quite the same again as I did the first time around, particularly because his birth was quite traumatic and then going, oh, I know there's a boy. What am I supposed to do with a boy? The whole, every way you feel, I just never want to forget it. And 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 that Oh, it's just amazing that it can keep happening because you kind of prepare yourself after the first time, the second time. You're not going to have... I can't love you the same as I loved my first, but I'll do yeah. my best to love you as much as I can. Yeah. And then you just realise, actually, 
this is amazing. I just, I can and you're totally different and I love that you're totally different yeah. and it, it's just, yeah, so I just don't want to forget that. So I make that conscious and you'll see you always on my yeah. stories. I'll do my It Is Time with my, my Lion King music yeah. <laughs> starting it off and go through the birth stories and I do always get this huge reaction from people. I bet you people share their stories they with do, you and brings, I, it, it does, it brings it, it does, back. Like, yeah, brings yeah. it back and you get all these people sharing their gorgeous birth stories and I don't know about you, John, but after I gave birth, I don't know whether it was trying to process it or what but I wanted to hear how people got on I wanted to hear their birth stories mm-hmm. and I think that maybe whether it's because we're afraid to indulge ourselves or perhaps we're afraid of scaring other people we don't share it beyond that processing time when not everybody wants to hear it but we might feel we have to get it out there so it's yeah. it's nice to say it again it's nice to feel validated if we say how we felt or the experience that we had and just just to share and just it, it's that magical thing that you're just so privilege to have had the experience of but also so affected by it as well in yeah. so many different ways I uh, I wanted to read you a poem um, because we're just on that kind of talking about the whole kind of labour thing um, and I wrote this one actually I wrote it it's called Runners and I wrote it from the um, the perspective of my husband um, when I was in labour having my son Theo so I only have two there's no only there's no <laughs> yeah, only true. so anyway this is about um, him he was in the um, he was in the delivery room with me I wrote this from his perspective it's called Runners she twists and bends upon the bed the midwife shouts I see the head keep going keep going just one more push Student nurses stare blankly at my wife and our bush. Blankets unfolded to embrace and to wrap. Plastic sheets are laid down to catch any crap. The scales are wheeled in, prepared, ready to weigh. She pushes and pants and howls in dismay. I want you to stand, the midwife insists. Dad, we need your help. Hold her like this. I hook under her arms. I'm supportive and strong. But all I can think of in this moment is wrong. Box fresh, brand new leather, embossed with a tick. Hurry up, have this baby, please. Don't mess up my new kicks. All he could think about was his new runners. Don't ruin them. (laughs) And he still, like, he was like, after I, Theo, he was like, you know, your mum was telling me to stand up there and you were going to destroy me new Nikes. Now, I ended up having the baby lying down but um, mm-hmm. was your husband a huge support to you when oh, you had God, all I'm, yours I'm laughing at that because I think it is really I think it's hard for them it is hard for them I'm cutting them cutting them a bit of slack um, he the first time I think he was actually quite traumatised by what was happening and we ha- I had a brilliant midwife and I had a brilliant student midwife but I remember he what it was all moved really fast and I had a really fast labour I mean Chloe was my first baby and she was born within two hours and there was no and I suppose for a labour to move that fast the first time around mm-hmm. it means there's no break between contractions so it was pretty it was very Relentous. intense and quite scary there was no chance to kind of literally as one end you were going straight into another he felt I think a bit helpless and like I was like a docker swearing I mean I swear a lot at the best of times do you yeah. know and I would try make you blush now. <laughs> and I was just <laughs> I was I was just I mean the language out to me and he was I suppose he he didn't really know what he was supposed to do. He tried. He tried to be supportive. I had him briefed for the second time. 
And I said to them, I want the drugs, right? No matter what happens, I yeah. want the drugs. So yeah. don't let them say, we see how you get on. I don't, uh, there's no medals. I, I want the drugs. Sorry, I don't want, I don't want a drug-free birth. I was, I made this thing and I said, you know, you'll have to, you'll have to be my voice because I know I kind of lose the plot <laughs> in labour, just the, the fear and the overwhelm and the intensity of going through a very fast labour. And the same thing happened where it was a very fast labour again the second time. Okay. They didn't believe me in the hospital that I was in labour. In fact, they sent me out, they sent me home. And um, they told me I, 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 that my second labour was probably the most traumatic experience ever. I went in and when I was in, um, I had a midwife who just... She probably wasn't very suited to the job. And you see, like, I mean, I've over the years, I've had some of the most amazing midwives and the things yeah. they do. And I needed my husband there to be my voice because I was in so much agony. But he's hearing from the medical experts that, you know, well, this is the way it's supposed to go. And she's not in labor. The words drama queen were used. No at me. way. <laughs> yeah. Which wasn't really helpful when you no. know there's a child coming out of you. You know there is. And um, he, he really struggled. And I remember eventually when we left and we were halfway home, and my waters went and there was a mad panic to get back because you know um, Chloe had been so fast and, and this one was even faster and I was I was uh, losing water and bleeding on the way back oh, up geez. to the labour yeah. or to the birth and he was trying to support me and he had I suppose other opinions coming at him which suggested otherwise and I felt really sorry for him I do remember him leaving me that evening being quite traumatised I mean the first time he was kind of in shock because of the intensity of it but the second time having seen what had gone on and seeing me here as a second time mother be, not being listened to maybe having somebody kind of dismiss my that I was in labour I knew what labour felt like I knew this was it yeah. and that was really hard for him I think he was trying to be that strong person Yeah. but he was also conscious that um these were the experts and these were the medical experts. So was he much help? It was, I was glad he was there. Was he able to do much? I'm not sure the dads can no, do much. Yeah. I, I think in fairness, there's not much they can do. And like, if and it's traumatic for it, them it as well. Is. As you say, like, there's no, I know, like, Robbie, was Robbie Williams made the joke about, you know, his favourite pub burning <laughs> down and all, like, yeah. you know, and they can joke and stuff yeah. about it and stuff. But like, no, yes. and like you say, like, you're kind of putting your trust in the medical people yeah. around you it must be stressful for them as I well think of course it, has it is to be. I remember um, one ward sister coming in and going you're defying the laws of obstetrics Jennifer you always know you're in trouble when you're called Jennifer you know <laughs> <laughs> I mean mother <laughs> mother calls you're me Jennifer you're defying the laws of obstetrics Jennifer as this child came out of me without a bit of uh, a bit of pain relief and I felt every ounce of it and nobody believing me that he I was know. coming and yeah. he, she, I, I remember just he was doing his best but it's like you said it's traumatic they're watching it in my case there was like a bloodbath unfolding because Jeez, I ended up yeah. losing lots of blood afterwards yeah. sorry now for anybody listening who's a bit I, I don't mean to traumatise it was all grand and I went five more times after it so yeah. it didn't it didn't put me off enough but just that was a particularly difficult one I never had a labour like that again afterwards it was managed after wow. that much better and my other five were, were fine Um, but it was just that particular labour was traumatic and he, and, and I had a doctor and midwives who listened to me after that and it made all the difference. It was just that one time it was, and you feel particularly vulnerable. But I did feel very, very sorry for my husband. I did feel sorry for him because you knew he didn't know what to do. And he came in the next day really early. That was the other sign. He, well, he left late and I woke, he was in before I woke up the next morning. Oh, I was like, wow. oh my God, wow. So yeah. you knew, you knew he'd been affected by oh, it, you know, yeah. instead of going, yeah. I have to mind the little one and get some sleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> instead yeah, of that, yeah, he was yeah. back into the hospital early, yeah. so. 
her use married? Are you, are you like childhood sweetheart? We are from college. So I'm going with them since I was 18 and okay. we are married 22 years, 23 years this year. Yeah. So, oh. yeah. So he's, yeah, we're just, um, I suppose it's just, yeah, I just, I met him then and God love him. I did tell him that I was, I, you know, I, I even said the number seven. I said, oh no, I'd like to have loads of kids. And I don't know where that came from, this whole idea of wanting to have loads of kids. And I remember taking him out to the square in Tala because I was living in Tala and and I we were looking around the square and we went into Mother Kirk. I used to like just looking at the baby clothes. and so, yeah. I mean, it just shows the innocence was of it. Was this a date now, Jeff? This please? was, this was <laughs> I mean, why he didn't run screaming? I don't know. He's <laughs> anyway. a keeper. <laughs> yeah. He probably runs screaming now, given the chance. But anyway, he's stuck. He's stuck. And I remember taking me go, look at this and look at that. And I don't know that he ever thought I was deadly serious about having quite so many children. If I was lucky enough to, and I was lucky enough yeah. to. But yeah, and we're together. We I suppose we grew up together. We kind yeah. of grew up together. Yeah. So I think I'm, I'm with them obviously longer than I'm not with them. And it's it's mad to be kind of be at that stage of of life and oh, that we gorgeous. have a daughter even that old you know yeah. when you have like little kids and you have a daughter who's 21 yeah. it's mad yeah because you've got like I was saying like I, yeah. I I talk about like um from the cradle to the rave and you yeah. literally <laughs> you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean it's, um, yeah. it's that but come here like I'm uh, obviously you're a journalist you're a writer uh, you're an author you're I mean you've got so many different kind of titles and stuff which your mom your wife mm-hmm. your friend your daughter you know um, what like what 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 one of those titles gives you the most joy do you think oh look I love being I mean you can't not say I love being a mammy you can't really do that say that's not your favourite and it's the truth I think most of us that any of us who have been lucky enough to be mothers it's just it's just amazing and it gives me great content so I so let's <laughs> let's recognise for what it is as well too. No, I'm only kidding, kids. Only kidding, kids. <laughs> but there is. I mean, there's, I love that. But I find my work incredibly fulfilling. And over the years, I I oh, I did. Um, I made. I suppose I went through periods of being a stay-at-home parent, and I worked outside the home, and I worked inside the home, and I I tried literally everything. And I did really, I suppose, what was needed for the family and what was best for the family. And we worked this situation where I never had more than two in childcare at the one time, so that when I worked outside the home. I was only gone in more gone for the morning, yeah. I tr- and I tried to work around it that way. But now I am back working for the last number of years, and I really love working. I love, I love that I am somebody who is not just mammy, and yet in a lot of what I do, being a mammy is absolutely completely. It infiltrates a lot of my work as well. But I, I love, I love being mammy, and I don't believe there's anything. I don't believe people are just mammy. I think this just kind of reduces yeah. um, is how important that job is. And it is a hugely important job. But I like doing things, I suppose, that are independent, slightly independent of being mammy too. I like doing the things that make me feel a bit like me too, kind of, gra- you know, claiming back the little parts of me. Because I don't think, you know, we talk about the change of motherhood and we talk about how all that it changes the year. I don't know that it necessarily does. I think you just don't have the opportunity to do the things that you love. I don't know you stop loving the things that you used to love doing before. Yeah. And I enjoy the challenge of work. I find it incredibly stressful trying to juggle it with Oh, I see your posts at like three o'clock in the morning, like hitting <laughs> them deadlines. But that also says that's someone who loves what they're doing. Yeah, do because you know it's I mean? the only way yeah. I could do it, Jess. The only way I could justify giving up sleep and giving up lots of, like, I mean, I 
would work a lot. I work a lot and it's not that I'm working all day, every day. It's I'm w- trying to work in between the children and work around the kids yeah. and that involves sometimes yeah. writing in the middle of the night or being up messing around on Instagram in the middle of the night or working at weekends and then I'm the greatest avoider of tasks until they actually have to be done. I'm sitting there going, I have to write. Oh, sure, let's play a little bit of F or David while I'm here, you know, instead yeah. of actually getting on with it. Yeah. And um, But I love what I do so much. I'm prepared to, to make those sacrifices. So I like I like all of it. So if that's if that's the title or the role that gives you the most joy, what's the one that wrecks your head the most? The one. Like, what's the thing that you could kind of be like? Get rid of that one. I could take her. Dog really. walker. Do you have a dog? <laughs> I have a like, dog, but yeah. I have also older kids. Oh, so okay. they can Happy they days. can walk. Yeah. They can cleaner. Yes. Yeah, cook. Oh, I would like cook I, as me. I mean. That's you see, that's the thing, isn't it, Jan? And I think when you have, I think for me, I'm always conscious. I, I perhaps give off an image of, you know, I've got seven kids. So people presume you must be really good homemaker. And I'm not. I'm really bad at, at tidying and cleaning. I, like, I love a clean house. I just am not very good at managing to achieve it. Yeah. I'm not a very good cook. And people presume you must love doing all this sort of stuff with the kids. And I wish I was. I look at other women doing it and I feel completely inferior. I go, I'm not the ma'am that my kids deserve in this regard. You know, I'm not the... They, they've got me and my, my daughter will sometimes describe me she go you're not like ordinary mams and not I don't think it's a compliment I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's not a compliment um, but she says that and I know when she's saying it it's because I don't I don't manage to be the mam that other mams are I can't I just fail at the things that mams are supposed to be good at and that I could what do you think the things are that mams are supposed to be good at? What do you like? We're what do you to imagine be, that is? We're supposed to be brilliant at, you know, making things look fantastic aesthetically, you know, putting on the perfect parties yeah. and putting on, um, you know, making these fabulous meals that are different every day and yeah. um, nutritious and balanced yeah. and your kids shouldn't swear and you, should, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> these sort of things shouldn't happen. And, you know, you're supposed, to, I, I just feel we're supposed to be good at those things. And when the notes come home from school about the projects that are supposed to be made and let's be honest is the parents are hugely involved in those projects and you see them go back and I see what the other parents have done and I go oh my god my artistic skills and my arts and crafty things are just really inadequate in comparison unique unique Unique. unique is one way of looking at but it's all those sort of things I look at and you know again because I don't have that typical size family people maybe look at you and go she must be able to do this and able to do that and very generously throw out things like say Superman or stuff and say really kind comments to you if they're messaging and so kind and I'm always going if you only realise what a fraud I am I am not able to do half this stuff and I'm dropping balls everywhere yeah. and I'm doing my best but I am not a, I, like I'm not anything that maybe I'm not able to do the stuff that I wish I could do I wish yeah. I could be a more tradi- a better Mom, in terms of being a more traditional mom, I wish I could be better at that because I, I hear people talk about the wonderful things their mums did growing up. That the traditional advice of like my mom is there going, just give me the coat and I'll sew on the button. Just Jennifer, <laughs> you're going around like I don't know what with buttons missing. I was going, well, I don't know how to sew and I don't, I don't know these yeah. sort of things aren't aren't what I do. Or she'll just like there'll be I'll try to bake the cookies with the kids on Christmas Eve and they'll be burnt and she go how and she's not criticized she just wonders how in the name of Jesus I managed to every single time follow the instructions and it never looks like it's <laughs> supposed to look and and she's so talented at these things and seems to have bypassed me and my sister seemed to have got that and all the other mothers I know are really good at all this sort of stuff yeah. and then I just yeah I'm not 
And I do think even though we're hearing all these what should a mother be what um, and you dismiss all that and go, you know, we won't be put into our boxes and we won't be combined. I still think you feel a little bit inadequate and maybe that's because it's for children. I don't care what, a, what am, am I the right am I when we talk about women and we go, what, what should a woman, woman be? Or adult that's different. Yeah, I know but it's mean, when yeah. it's a mum, you're going, oh, am I a good enough mum for the kids? Am I yeah. am I doing am yeah. I doing all right? And I think uh, I suppose all right has to be enough, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I'm doing all right. Yeah. It has to be enough. Yeah. And good enough, isn't that? Good what they enough say? is good enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Except for oh. bacon. Sissy That Pod is a reaction podcast to all things RuPaul's Drag Race. You may have seen the memes or you may have seen the queens, but if you watch the show, then you're going to want to listen to Sissy That Pod. Every week after the TV show airs, we have a new episode with a new guest analysing, speculating and dissecting the show. Who's going to win Snatch Game? Will there be a lip sync Lollapurusa? Who's going to be crowned Miss Congeniality? These are all big questions in our world. I'm currently covering Drag Race Season 15 with our extra special guest host, comedian and actress Erin McGaffey. So, in the words of Shania Twain, come on over and come on in to the world of Sissy That Pod, wherever you get your podcasts or on Headstuff Plus. I know what you mean. It's just this, it's this thing that you kind of carry with you. You can't mm-hmm. help but kind of second guess yourself. And, yeah. You know, like, and there's, there's so much parenting stuff out there that even wasn't there like when I had my kids like Theo's 10 do you know what I mean like I can't even imagine what it must be like now looking at you know like I I was saying to a friend this morning and it's like 50 shades of beige you Mm -hmm. know these you know like where the buggy matches the outfit and the fucking you know what I mean I just I can't like even just to to have that as some kind of a measure Mm -hmm. must be so difficult I mean like the so we're just kind of all this content is kind of thrown like parenting and mothering and all that kind of stuff. I mean, what kind of stuff do you think we should be kind of looking out for? You know, it's, you it's, know, I'm probably, yeah. it's probably not on social media, you know. I suppose <laughs> you fact. see, that's just it. And I think anybody who operates on social media, I mean, all you people will see glimpses of my home. They'll see glimpses of the kids maybe in the background they'll see glimpses I don't tend to put a huge amount of stuff up when I'm sitting there in my pajamas the very mm. odd time mm. might but most of the time if you're going to see a glimpse of me you're going to I'm going to put a picture of me up if I'm going out it's somewhere you do. so it's me yeah. Yeah. so it's either me going out somewhere or it's me on my way to work and if I'm on my way to work I'm going to have a full face of makeup on as well so yeah. I think it's really about being aware of what we're seeing and, and how and that it's that tiny snippet of somebody's life uh, I think when you're watching out for stuff it's um it's looking at what's helpful to you, what's helpful for you, because if looking at people who like to match their pram to their children's coat, to their to their car, to their couch, to all those things, if that's something that you want to do, then I think fine. You know, if that's yeah. your if that's the stuff that floats your boat, absolutely grand. Some people like all the coordinates and are happy to, to get involved there. But if it doesn't help you, don't follow it or don't don't engage with it because all it'll end up doing is making make you feel so much worse about yourself about not being able to live up to completely unattainable standards and again you are seeing one corner you're possibly not seeing the other side of the person's um, sitting room where all the crap is being dumped so that they can yeah. take this perfectly staged photo and for every photo that goes up on social media and I think most of us will be the same and it, it isn't just because we don't want to show real life um, and we want to pretend that we have this picture perfect image it's that if you're putting pictures out there so there might have been 15 20 50 pictures taken before the one actually ends up there and when you're wondering how come I can't get one of them all looking the same way or I not know, yeah. the head off the other like that, yeah. that's what you're seeing is just that tiny snippet but it's very hard to remind 
yourself with that. I think when you use social media yourself, you're more in tune with that. I think mm. you're much more in tune with it. It also means you might know um, that some of the people are actually able to do some things really well and that might not be your strength, but so what? There's lots of other, we all have our things. We all have our things we can do well. We all have our things that just escape us and so be it. It's making your peace with them is the, is the hard part, but seeking out helpful information, seeking out, mm. uh, you know, if you're going after parenting advice or parenting content, seeking out stuff that will help you to in your life, not just to raise your kids, but to make you enjoy being a mom or a dad or whatever, whoever you are, right, um, look at seeking this content out that it's something that benefits you or that you just enjoy it. Not that it makes you feel inadequate, that you just enjoy it. But you're dead right. We are bombarded with information coming at us from so many different ways. Because you can all too many times kind of just compare and despair. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, like I even, you know, I'm reading Caitlin Moran and stuff. Yeah. And, 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 you know, people like it just, I just like, I always go for people who speak frankly and honestly because I try and do that, so mm-hmm. they'll always be the ones that I'll focus on. So, yeah, um, there is some great stuff there. Oh, there's you're right. great, yeah. and you know, just I mean, as well as and there's great community there too. Like, great. I'm sure you get I can you know gorgeous messages, and people are so open to share with you as well. I can't believe. I mean, there are, I've made friends through social media. I have, and you know, and there you are, ten your kids never meet up with a stranger online. Yeah. I meet a stranger online's wedding, and I meet no you know, there's, there is yeah. complete strangers online, and people reach out and they share the most private details of their li- of their lives. They share their great news. People tell me they're going to have a baby oh, when they haven't told gorgeous? anybody yet, yeah. or maybe they're undergoing fertility treatment, or they're talking about trouble that's going on. There is people share, and there is huge community. And you'll often see me on my own social media put out a call out maybe for work or ask yes. advice or I'll, yeah. or a mum might have asked me advice and I'll go okay I don't know myself but let me put it up there and see what people come back with yeah. and I'm always flooded with really helpful responses in fact very little judgement 99.99999% support you know yeah. it is quite incredible there is a community out there and I think because the village is missing we're trying to recreate it elsewhere yeah. Yeah. and I think social media is often that place if you can just be aware of the false stuff, it's actually a wonderful place to be. But that, like you said, if you're looking at the kind of scummy mummy things and all that kind of, th- it, motherhood gives off huge f- laughs as well. I mean, it's funny sometimes. Our failings are funny. The things yeah. that go wrong are funny. The, yeah. you know, and there's something hugely relatable in watching someone else make a bags of it. You know, yeah. <laughs> just or just, just you know, in a comedy sketch, recreate exactly how you're feeling yeah. or the fuck up that you made that morning or anything like that. You know, it's just there is so much um, that you can that helps in that and just that connection that sense of connection and relatability and knowing that actually most of us get it wrong a lot of the time but we do our best and that's all you can do yeah yeah Uh. exactly yeah fuck matching your buggy your couch unless that's what you're coat into and your couch <laughs> yeah unless that's what you're into in which case and then we're judging you I won't be following you <laughs> What what's the best kind of piece of advice that you've kind of ever received I think I remember when, when my book came out um, at the time and it is it's it's called The Real Mum's Guide to Surviving Parenthood and it's literally real mum's experience as in, re- as in me being the real uh, real mum sharing her experience and insights and stuff like that and like, people can kind of dip in and out of it depending on what age they're at but I remember because once you put yourself out there and I'm sure you found that Jan as well yeah. when you're putting your writing out there when you're putting anything out there and that kind of fear of of judgment a little bit and am I doing it as well as other people do and you you said it there just before we were chatting even this idea of writing as we speak and, and I do that a lot too and thinking is this okay is this good enough and I remember a friend of mine saying to me um, that 
you know, nobody else can do you, though. This is where you, you are you. Like, this is where you own it. You know, instead of going into a market or going into a job or going into an environment where you're trying to be like somebody else, just be you. You know, nobody else can do you as well as you can. And that yeah. reminder from somebody that actually what you're doing is perfectly fine. You don't have to be trying to shape your work or shape what you're doing to be similar to somebody else. Yes, you can have somebody who you enjoy. Yes, you can have somebody who you take comfort from. You go, actually, he does this or she does that. And I like that. And um, I recognize I, I recognize maybe aspects of what I do and what they do. But just owning yourself, owning what you're doing and owning your own opinion, because your own view and your own opinion is as valid as anybody else's and again if you're putting stuff out there because it's not just writing for me it's going out there and sharing what I think about different things that are happening particularly stuff that's happening maybe relating to education or family or children or women I, I'm often kind of offering an opinion on that and you can be a little bit timid at the beginning and a little bit afraid to go, well, I think blah, blah, blah. But of course, that's just what I think. And you go, well, hang on a second. What I think matters as much as what somebody else yeah. thinks. And what my view on this is, it's based on, like you mentioned there at the beginning, it's based on I haven't gone in here just pulling a thought out of thin air. I've researched, I've experienced, I've spoken to, I've done whatever. And so my opinion is as valid as somebody else's. And it was particularly... I found during the pandemic, I took a stance on, on schools, getting schools open that wasn't popular with some people. And really? Yeah, and, and it was, and yet I got huge support from it from, from others. I, I think parents were concerned about things like schools being closed and the how long it was going on. And a huge amount of teachers were very concerned about um, schools being closed and were writing to me too and were saying, look, actually, we, we do need to make this move towards getting them open. There's a huge fall. And I would have a lot of teachers, and particularly from DESH schools who are aware of the consequences yeah. for their children, uh, for the students attending there. And I remember they would write to me, but then there were other people who 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 didn't seem to realize that you could be pro children without being anti teacher. And, you know, you can and mm. there was an a, attempt at one stage to try and suggest the opposite. Now, I many, 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 many moons ago used to teach myself. I, I have huge value in what our teachers do. And, and any of the teachers who follow me know that they know yeah. how what an amazing people I think they are and how incredibly important they are in our children's lives. But I remember there was this concerted effort happening over on Twitter now, completely separate to Instagram. Yeah, it didn't yeah. happen. This were the two, where the two and platforms <laughs> differ. Where you had this huge support on Instagram and you had over on Twitter, it was like the mob started. And it was a, I suppose people were angry, people were scared, people were frightened and frustrated. And it, and it was very difficult. But I remember at the time when I was putting my head up going, we have to get our kids back to school. It's not okay that we continue to drift. And I was, I was on prime time at the time and I remember speaking about this and going, well, hang on second we have to talk about first of all our kids need to be back at school there was also the consequences for women and it was largely women who, again yeah. who were affected because they were the ones likely to step away from their work to take the career break to take the parental leave to give up their work altogether to stay at home and mind their children and do their um the school homeschooling from home because they couldn't go to work if they needed to do um support remote learning at home yeah. they couldn't do both and it was at a time where nobody not many people sorry a couple of my colleagues were within um within the paper were saying it too but there was not many people were voicing the opinion yet because there was a kind of a fear we didn't know enough yet about what was going on perhaps but what we were ignoring was the fact that school closures were having this huge consequence on our children and this huge impact on our children we're seeing it now like we see it wasn't just that they went back to school and all was fine so putting your opinion out there 
and there were a lot of people who were there going, who is she anyway? She's just a mammy, you know, what does she know? Yeah, she doesn't want to yeah, have to yeah. mind her kids yeah. and try to absolutely dismiss your viewpoints and stuff. So owning, owning your view, I suppose that was, I've got off there now on a tangent, but owning yeah. your thoughts and owning your opinions and having the confidence to know that what you think and, and what you feel is as valid as what anybody else thinks or feels and not to have that undermined because you happen or undervalued because you happen to have a few children or because you happen to see motherhood as and parenthood as this really important job that doesn't may, mean that your your opinion or your your voice is any less important than anybody else's i just want to ask you as well just about the time for homework to go yeah. petition Mm-hmm. Um and actually yeah back to your Twitter thing as well I mean I you like as I say I'm not on Twitter but vicariously through you I even tapped into do you remember I was asking mm-hmm. about it was like the parent teacher meetings yeah, and stuff yeah. and, and just back to your point there about you know kind of having your own opinion on and, and like asking questions about the kids but not necessarily kind of being felt like you're put in a position where you're challenging the teachers I felt like I was put in a position where I was you know like where you're kind of going hey you know it might be nice to just have a parent teacher mm-hmm. meeting in person this time and it's kind of no we're doing it digitally and so it's uh, having asked I know you you did one of your call outs on Twitter yeah. and, and that was one of those moments where I kind of felt okay I, I feel comfortable that I'm able to ask that question now and uh-huh. you know uh, so the time for homework to go petition. Yeah. Um, it, like, how did that all kind of look like, you know, when you say, oh, I love being a mommy. I do. I love being a mommy, but I don't know. This is parts of it that I don't yeah. particularly like. Yeah. <laughs> homework <laughs> homework kinda, is, is one know, of it. Well, I suppose yeah. that's a bit like even the parent teacher meeting thing there that you're saying and the homework thing. I think as adults and as parents, I don't know whether we default back. We do it with our own parents and I think we might do it a little bit with school and go back to being the child again and forget that that relationship is actually we're on par here with our teachers. You know, we're yeah. both working for a common good for, you know, towards both working the, for yeah. the common good. Yeah. That's it. Like and that's, that's it. And we both. Yeah. So but we tend to go, I can't question the teacher. I can't question the school. The reality is a huge number of teachers, right? to me go Jen we want rid of homework too but the problem is if we get rid of homework parents think you know that perhaps we're not do- we're doing our job properly and there's mm-hmm. and there's this absolute kind of misplaced and complete um, belief that homework is the measure of the teacher or the measure of the school and research suggests otherwise so I've been on this campaign trail for many years now and been writing about it in the Irish Times a lot I've written about it in other newspapers before that and spoken about it a lot on the telly and the radio tons too tons of research on tons it. of research yeah. there is so much research out there which suggests Yes, it's of little to no benefit, um, little to no academic benefit for primary school age children. At best, it makes little to no difference. At worst, it actually is counterproductive in terms of it. It kind of instills this dislike for education from a very young age. Mm. We're also living in really different times now and there isn't necessarily somebody at home to support homework anymore because Mammy has gone to work. Mammy used to be at home before. Yeah. We have one in six adults with literacy difficulties and one in four with numeracy difficulties. So when you send that work home for Mammy or Daddy to manage and when you have statistics as high as that, Parents from quite an early stage can run into trouble with homework. You know, when you get onto yeah. fractions, decimals, things yeah. like that, you'll find a lot of parents all of a sudden are going, oh, f- whoa, yeah. back off here now. I'm, in, I'm a bit confused. And there can be embarrassment about that. There can be shame about that. 
And also, is I mean, when you look at the idea of consolidation, which is often the argument, um, you know, we consolidate and what's done during the day. Well, firstly, it's not always the same thing. But if it is, yeah. if a child has already grasped the concept, then you're literally, they're going through the motions doing the same thing again in the afternoon. If they haven't grasped the concept, is the time to do it when they're absolutely exhausted from having sat still all day and from having conformed with whatever the expectations are in school for that particular day? We wouldn't suggest to any adult that what you, what you should do now after a day's work is go home and do more work. They're doing it but it's not something that we should be advocating and yet we're, we're saying this to our children you know, children should have the same right to disconnect as adults you know this whole idea of instilling a really healthy work rest and play balance and if we can't cover the things in school then perhaps we need to revisit the curriculum again and perhaps they just perhaps it's overloaded or perhaps the way we're doing things just isn't working for our teenagers and working for our children so I'm adamant. I'm. It will be the hill I die on that homework needs <laughs> to go for children. I am. I. I plan to continue with this. I have a petition running at the moment. We have a lot of parents um, signing it. I think the big difficulty for parents is they don't want to challenge the school. Unfortunately, the responsibility doesn't rest with the Department of Education. It's with individual schools and their oh, boards okay, of management. Okay. So, so does that mean like some school could just take it upon themselves absolutely. and say we are a homework free school? They absolutely could but okay. to do that they need to hear from the parents. So they okay. need the parents to come forward and say okay lads I would like you to consider even a trial period doing this could we try it out and we could see how it goes see how the parents students and teachers feel about it um, but they need the parental voice there. The par- parents unfortunately tend to be slow to add their voice to it because they still have this student school relationship yeah. or kind of mindset instead of realising yeah, you do again, feel like back to the common good yeah it doesn't feel sometimes like a relationship that's what I just keep reminding yeah. myself that actually my relationship is with this school yeah. and, and maybe I'm a bit of a pain but like I do like to you know say well maybe can we try this or you but know I do communicate right. with them on that level because there is a there is a moment, isn't there? I don't know what it is. Like when you go into a classroom, again, you're you're instantly yeah. brought back to yeah. sitting, sitting on those on tiny the, chairs. On the little chairs. <laughs> and even if the teacher sitting in front of you, you know what I mean, is younger than you or whatever else, you still, well, I do. Mm-hmm. I still feel like the child in yeah. the classroom and I'm sitting in there. It just makes you think differently. Yeah. So I always try and remind myself now, okay, right, this is a relationship with yeah. school we as you say there's a greater good here we're both mm-hmm. wanting the best for the kids yeah. so yeah I and think trying to you see and this is where yeah. I love what you do you know that I feel like by doing things like this that actually are empowering kind of parents do you know what I mean to even you know maybe maybe it's homework maybe it's not maybe it's can we do more PE maybe it's, absolutely do you it, know what I mean but it's just to kind of have that relationship between families and parents and, and, real, and realising yeah. that and it's that fear I suppose that parents don't want to be seen as a troublemaker you'd be surprised how yeah. often they'll describe yeah. I mean I just said seen. it there they probably yeah. think I'm a pain and my and kids do fear. often say to me don't send an email <laughs> and I'd be like well I'm only asking a question <laughs> well there is you that know? I and you're dead right there like and you're and, and I suppose even like you said if, if it, you have the kids kind of nervous am I going to be in trouble if mammy's writing yeah. into the school or if yeah. mammy's asking them whatever and it's yeah. hard sometimes to reassure them sometimes they're as well not to know but you know that that whole idea that we are there for the common good we have a we're on an equal footing here this is yeah. you know this is a, a relationship that we have together it's not it, it's not upsetting the apple cart it's, it's working towards trying to improve things for your child for children in the school as a whole whatever yeah. it is and we shouldn't be afraid to use our parental voice and sometimes that will be more than once in a week so yeah. you have to be yeah, comfortable yeah, yeah, with that yeah. and own that that's kind of I suppose being an adult but it's not always easy I ask 
everybody who comes on the podcast um uh, the poems that I write are very they're about very normal things uh, drinking wine and eating biscuits and wearing leggings and being a mom and like there's so many of them like yeah. I read you the runner's poem there like there's loads from the book that I could have read you about like homeschooling and stuff yeah. I just couldn't quite go back to homeschool but like I have one for example called YouTube school uh it's you know it's basically how the kids are learning from YouTube and stuff. I mean, I could literally there was uh, I could keep we could do three more episodes yeah. and I could chat to you about it so much. <laughs> but um, I ask everybody who comes on the podcast if I was to write a poem about you, mm-hmm. Jen, today, what would the theme or themes be? Um, God. do you think? I think I mean if I was to think about the the themes, I mean homework obviously is a big one there for me. Um, I I I would like to I suppose a poem in terms of trying to hear, have children's voices heard. I think that's been a yeah. huge part of, of what I've done over the last few years, in particular in terms of writing, trying to have that. But if I was to go back to what actually is me and what I'm struggling with, a poem about trying to manage device usage and internet access and all that sort of stuff for me and for your kids, because I think that's one of the greatest battles of our Isn't time it? at the moment, mm. trying to get that balance right. We know they need access to it. We know that we isolate them from their friends if we remove it altogether. Yeah. But oh my God, we're losing them to this online world. And I suppose we're also in danger of being caught up in the online world yeah. too. You know, anybody who uses social media knows only too well the kind of addictive nature of it and how you can be drawn in and end up doom scrolling. So that whole trying to navigate all of that as a mum, as a, as an adult and yeah, just the whole the whole thing, how they're running around, walking around with them. Controllers, console controllers in your handbags. <laughs> that yeah. you can try and keep them off. And, keep them off and, and just realizing it's like this pointless battle in lots of regards. You talk about all the secure, the the added security that you can put on, it and then you realize they hit twelve. They have access to somebody else's network, or they can run off somebody's hotspot, and they can. Yeah. You don't allow them to have this. Um, app and they'll just access it on their friend's phone <laughs> instead and they have their fake Insta accounts. I can see you there going, oh my Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying all that they have their account that you think you're following but they have another one instead and yeah. it is literally I suppose personally I always think it's about responsible management and you have to kind of talk to them about that because blanket bans don't work because they'll always have access to it but as a parent the the fear that you don't you really don't know about how much they're being exposed to no matter how on top of it you think you are because everybody has this access and it's coming at them from every direction and influence people can get into their heads so much more easily so yeah actually I heard a really interesting thing there apparently there's been a 60% increase in the number of children who are short sighted now thanks to technology use and like that is huge yeah. absolutely huge so yeah. it's it's having that physical as well as that kind of emotional and yeah. mental impact and we haven't us. even tapped into we that yet like that's like this is like we cigarettes rem- it is know? and we remember a time before it so we even know what we're missing out on mm-hmm. we know when even when as we become absorbed and consumed and doom scroll and lose hours on the internet we know we're losing it for uh, for our kids today they've grown up like yeah. and they're digital natives this yeah. is their norm and th- we like you said it'll be the cigarettes of the future when yeah. we see what we've done and we're trying to unpick the mess afterwards you know yeah okay well it's a horror poem <laughs> i look forward to this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Jen, listen, thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure. Thanks for letting me read your poem. And thanks so much, Jen. Thanks, Jen. Thanks for listening. See, we're not really strangers, are we? I'd love to hear any of your thoughts. 
You'll find me on Instagram at jbgoodtome. Join me in a fortnight for the next episode. And come here, in the meantime, you can support me by becoming a member of Headstuff Plus, where you'll be able to access some bonus content. It's called Behind the Lines, where I let you into all the secrets and the people and the places behind the lines of the poems from my little yellow book. Go on, I know you want it. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. <laughs>